0: Yeah, I'm recording. <laughs> 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 bit, shit, bit, shit, 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 Our chants are getting so much better. <laughs> yeah.
1: Shit, bit, shit, bit, shit, 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 shit,
2: Welcome to Every Game in This City, a podcast about eight game makers, curators, and researchers who are meeting up in Shanghai for a week to try and watch every game at the International Dota Two Championship. I'm Alexandra Lee. I'm
1: Patrick Lemieux.
3: I'm Peter Nelson.
2: I'm Valentina Liu. I'm Lee Li
3: Shanglun. I'm Stephanie Bola. I'm
1: Yang
4: Ji. I'm Will pardon.
2: It's day three of the International Dota Championships in Shanghai, and the whole cast is back in one room to talk about how we've been playing Dota. From arenas and malls to arcades and night cafes, everyone has their own way of playing. And after catching up with the cast, we'll interview Muriel Kip sweisman a Dota 2 analyst and the former coach of TNC Predator, Vegas Squadron, and Complexity Gaming.
0: Okay, I have a new game for today. Uh, last night, during the International at some point, or yesterday, a new hero was announced. It's like cookie-making goblin grandma riding a lizard, but like a, in the Wild West. It's called Spitfire. Her name is actually Snapfire. And there's go around and what, what are some of the moves that uh, this new character would do? It's like a small goblin grandma riding a big lizard.
5: This might be a too literal interpretation of cookies, but I'm gonna say something with a rolling pin.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right. Like the normal like whack, or maybe like a rolling pin you level up and it gives a crit on whack. Or you could
5: throw it or something.
6: My hunch is also throwing cookies or stealing cookies from somewhere.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> At the, start of the video, she has like cookies with all the heroes. Faces on them, uh, so maybe she like turns them into cookies. I see. She's mm-hmm. she's like the
3: it's witch really... in Hansel and Gretel. She uh, can't walk, that's why she has her dinosaur mobility uh-huh. aid, and she stays in home base and just bakes. But she bakes like ish like you know, mm-hmm. versions of the enemy team.
0: A cooking mama like
3: injection into Dota sounds about right. <laughs> her screen is just cooking mama. Yes. she doesn't see the map. She just sees her kitchen. <laughs>
1: Maybe the cookies come out of the the, the lizard's butt.
3: No, that is
1: gross.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm just first thing in the morning. Butt well, it's humor.
1: Like,
3: hey, it's just like, like, like
0: eggs.
7: <laughs> mm. yeah. I have something similar to that. Like she feeds the lizard, and the lizard the cookies. The lizard fart.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Why is it getting gross? It's
7: like the toxic gas. Yeah. Although,
0: yeah, to to give you both credit, uh, there is a ability called nasal goo. Oh. In <laughs> the game. I
7: okay. have uh, another one. Yeah. yeah. Like, the opposite of what you said, like if you eat a cookie with some other heroes based on it, like the grandmother eat it, she can become temporarily that hero and possess their power or moves.
1: Yeah. Grandma Rubik.
0: So she cooks like <laughs> little Aghanim's essence, but Rubik's essence cookies. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Like if Rubik could pass out abilities. And then no fart. No farting!
3: <laughs> Oh, so she doesn't become them. She gives cookies to others who they...
0: Yeah, like she could like bake a cookie based on somebody and then it turns into an
4: item in her satchel and she could like divvy it out to give people little abilities. That's actually like close to what I was thinking of like... If you're designing a, a hero around grandmas who are like really nice until they're really mean.
6: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs>
4: so and seem to somehow cash in their niceness to then like be mean when they need to be, mm-hmm. um, like doing these good deeds, giving cookies, like actually you know, basically getting benefits from doing support activities, and then like unleashing a comparable, like a, a collected amount of damage during the team fight. Mm-hmm. For me, actually,
8: it's a whole like the the lizard cookie cookie thing. For me, it was fun to because <laughs> <Get off. laughs> because the character's name is Spitfire, right? So I imagine that the the lizard throws up, like <laughs> throws up. Yeah, so it's just like the this Abby. grandma with a very sick lizard <laughs> so it everywhere, and the lizard is like because it ate too many cookies, and the and the
0: the spit is like venomous or something. Yeah, I think I'm on Alex's train. Like, this lizard is going to spit fire because the character's name is named Spitfire.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Matrix snap! Young and I were right. But yeah, yeah we just had a different end. Yeah. It's the same tube. The so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. There is, there the is just, <laughs> just a
0: tube.
1: Can I just say that if you combine this with Medusa, I think Valve is like single-handedly like, doubling the amount of old women playable characters in video games right
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've got a little monopoly on, yeah, on like, the that grandma market.
1: market. Yeah, it's good. It's great. I'm really, really excited about that because I'm constantly looking mm-hmm. for older women as playable characters. Uh-huh. Uh,
3: yeah, the first yeah. example that comes to my mind is The Graveyard by Taylor Tales, which mm-hmm. is not right. a great That's example.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
3: We want the, like, yeah. cookie a- poop fire-spitting old lady, not the,
1: the
7: walk through a director and sit
3: down and possibly die. Yeah,
7: <laughs> in a grandma form. Does any hero fart? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really
3: good question. Do
4: they have to use the bathroom? <laughs> Does any hero fart? I don't think so. I feel like... Sand I King? I would it be. I mean, Sand King... The same, no, the sand is. Uh, <laughs> the sand is, is not far <laughs> <added>. <laughs> Sandstorm, Sandstorm is hard. not
0: ahead.
7: <laughs> you would
3: have to build very different toilets for each hero. True. Yeah.
7: Yeah. Someone has to monopolize that market.
0: Yeah, so you, in the in the hero dorm, there's just like a whole floor of different
3: shaped toilets. <laughs> yeah, this is great.
7: Have like
1: a shit pit. Elf was about to
0: announce a new hero today, and
1: yeah. so maybe
3: it'll be like Toilet Fiend or Toilet King uh, or Toilet King. Dumb, dumb shit king. So <laughs> <Dumb laughs> <shit king. Dumb laughs> fart. Why is our podcast falling into <laughs>
6: the shit pit? So, so Stephanie, just out of curiosity, what are some old lady or old woman like um heroes in? Dota.
1: Medusa. Oh yeah, yeah. So there's there's one there's one character who um, I don't know when she came out a few years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, she's Medusa, the the oh, yeah, the Gorgon, the mythological Gorgon. Right. Yeah, yeah and she actually plays a. Uh, she's really interesting because she's a carry. So she's not. She's hard to play in the early game, but then she becomes just a beast in the late game.
0: Yeah, it's like her and Legion Commander are like tanky women in Dota.
1: Mm. Awesome.
0: And I think with that, we're ready. The shit pit begins. All right.
3: Wait, so that wasn't the podcast? (laughs) That was just our (laughs) exercise?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was
3: our warm-up. Thank goodness.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's going in. Yeah. So... One of the things that's really interesting about yesterday is we've already heard from Will, who is at the stadium, Uh, and so that was playing out, and the rest of us, like, recorded the podcast and then, like, went around Shanghai to see Dota in all these different venues.
1: It's quite luxurious.
0: But maybe we, do we start with
4: Will?
8: Yeah, I think so. Let's start at the stadium. (laughs) Okay. How are you
4: doing? Are you recovered? (laughs) I I feel recovered today, (laughs) (laughs) but last night was rough.
3: We actually have some audio of when you had just come back home, right?
4: Right. Oh, I'm, I'm, I don't even remember recording that.
3: Oh, <laughs> oh my god! All that oh, footage. Yeah.
4: To my eyes feel like radioactive. Like looking at the fucking screen in the arena. Like my eyes just like they they not just like they hurt. They feel like both like dry and like irradiated in the same. Like That's my drops?
1: What did you eat today?
4: I had I had the sunburn hot dog. Yeah, it's, oh, a sunburned for lunch. it's the hot dog that looks like a sunburn. When Will got home, he was loopy. After like, what, 14
8: hours or something oh, yeah. of watching in the stadium? Yeah,
4: because so I got to the stadium about 9.30 a.m., just a little bit, um, like, after doors opened, but before the first game. Uh, and I was there pretty much till midnight, so mm-hmm. full-on, like, 13 and a half hours. Wow. Um, which was exhausting. And... I knew I wanted to do that as soon as we started talking about this podcast, um, just do a real kind of marathon day and just see what it would like do to my senses, see what Mm -hmm. it would do to my sense of like space and see how it would change my relationship to the game. And it did all three of those things. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, initially I went to my actual marked seat on the ticket, which was on sort of the lower level uh, and actually quite near the booths and it was enormously uncomfortable because you know unlike traditional sports stadium where the action is sort of you know flat on sort of the stadium grounds um in dota you're looking up at the screen for the most part and so i was Mm -hmm. doing that and they had little like tvs there kind of at ground level for us but i was looking up they just started to hurt after a while and so that was a sort of a clear marker that you know this can't just be a sports stadium the actual kind of activity here is changing the relationship of sort of like all the media artifacts in the space.
1: I had that exact same thing happen to me on the first day too on that floor where I started to instantly get a stiff neck from the particular position that you have to hold your body in order to look at the screen.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just less clear than watching it on the computer. Like the screen is fuzzier and further away, and it's like if you wanted to watch the game, this is not the best place yeah, to do like it. It's being in the
5: front row of a movie theater. Even I have you bad eyes and I can't
1: see any of the bands from almost any angle in the stadium. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, in the journalism areas, they will like just boot their computers up and watch Dota 2 on a computer <laughs> on the in the stadium.
9: Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah, that's why. Because
0: yeah. it's easier to access information and they have to do screenshots,
4: of things are writing down. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the um, I moved pretty quickly to sort of our corner spot, this one sort of section of the stadium where they actually, I don't think, have been selling tickets at all, mm-hmm. um, because you sort of you're split between looking at two of the big hanging screens, but um, it's a, just a much sort of better experience.
2: Mm-hmm. Patrick just realized he was only recording with one mic, so he's switching it now.
4: So there could be anywhere from 8 to 12 games during the day because it was um, three or four best of threes, and... Um, so one of the things that that meant that the actual length of time was always going to be a lot, but the actual amount that could vary by was quite a bit because you know potentially four extra dota games is you know up to like four or more hours, yeah, <clears throat> so cool one of the sort of early on, I found like I was pretty much like my body was feeling quite tired by the end of the first set because just being in that arena with that amount of sort of sensation is really overwhelming. And so I found myself kind of tacking on a third metagame to how he was watching, <laughs> which there was the one where, like, just me p- pulling for particular teams to win. And who um, were
1: who you rooting for? The, who was playing that day?
4: Who was. I've completely forgotten. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> like, I had absolutely no idea. Um,
6: <laughs> what? True Dota
5: fan, right? Oh,
4: my God. Our investigative journalist, Lucina, <laughs> to the scene spent 14 hours on doing.
6: <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. No.
4: <laughs> it's in my notes. Just passed out.
1: <laughs> um, is <this>
4: Dota? <laughs> like what I what I remember is like this tension of there were teams I wanted to win, so so that was level one. Level two was then there were teams that I had bet on in sort of like the various like betting apps. Wait,
1: win. you're betting? Mm-hmm. Like with, with real money? Not right?
4: with real, with the virtual currencies. Oh, okay. You're betting um, with virtual currencies. You're betting yeah. with like gun skins. Uh, no, with the Dota ones. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. yeah, and I
0: think in uh, the next episode or the one after that, we're going to be, like, diving deeply into, like, the money games, including, like, swag and, like, virtual currencies and, like, all this Dumbos. other stuff that we've mm-hmm. been, uh, like, doing on top of everything else. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, so then, so two was sort of these, these betting metagames, and then third was just, like wanting whoever wins game one to fucking win game two so I can get out of here. The opposite of everybody sitting at home who wants all best of threes Yeah, they like
0: comfortably in their air-conditioned yeah. houses and eating like, food. Series future.
4: after series, I get totally played because whoever wins game one then loses the next... Like I remember this, I just don't remember who's playing.
1: <laughs> when, whenever you watch it at home and, and you're watching the commentators between games, always in the spirit of good sportsmanship, they're like, What I'm interested in is good Dota. I want to go to Game Three. Mm -hmm. I just want I I want to see more Dota, more in the stadium. That was like, please, please.
4: So, so the second series ends, and by this point, my eyes are already feeling a little bit radioactive, um, <laughs> and I like I'm getting antsy. So, one of the things I do is I'm starting to fiddle with like my wristband that they've given me, and I accidentally <laughs> rip it, um, and this becomes a plot point in about two hours. So. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I
1: forgot about this. I remember the rechats now.
4: <laughs> so, the, in theory, you need the um, the wristband if you're gonna leave the arena and come back in. Um, so, I, I managed to kind of like you know rig it back together. So, it, like it's kind of janky, but it's stuck together. It's hanging on my wrist. It's not as strong as it was before, and I and I kind of forget about it. Um, so I go and I have the sunburn hot dog um, for lunch.
3: <laughs> what, is, what is the sunburn
4: hot dog? I just, it's just—it's a hot dog. It, it looks and kind of tastes like a sunburn, um, but also a sunburn that you like, kind of put caramelized onion and mustard over. Yeah, um, I think it's like been, the traditional it's way cooked, of treating it. It's been so. cooked
5: with light, not heat. That's yes. Really <laughs>
3: yeah. the,
5: the
0: food in the stadium is like video game food. It's like a simple food. It's not actual food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I went to a food booth the other day where they had delicious, like bowls of like tofu noodle, like all the different types of food you'd want, like a Odin-style pot with, like, seaweed and, and radish and stuff. And I was taking a photo of the menu, and they were like, no, 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 like, that's not for you. Look at this, like,
3: uh, glass case, and there's sunburned hot dog in there. <laughs> There were uh, people carrying immense bags of pre made food platters that looked like essentially bento boxes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Who gets that? I want to know.
4: How do yeah, we VIP them? people. Okay, <laughs> well, we'll get there. Um, so, about this time, I, I messaged my friend Mike Stubbsy, who's a, a beat reporter here, covering mm-hmm. actually the. the dis- the move of Steam into China as sort mm-hmm. of a native platform with TI kind of tacked on as far as Valve was concerned. But he was like, oh yeah, come over to the, the media section. Um, like, yeah. no one's actually keeping watch over who's sitting here, right. so it doesn't matter that you don't have a pass. Um, so I just walk over it and take up a spot there with um, Mike and one of his colleagues, Chris, who is at Eurogamer. Wait, so you just um, see a person you know and walk in?
3: Yeah. There's no security, there's no... None at all. Particular. Like, I, I walked
4: <laughs> confidently in to make it look like I belonged here, but... Just dump your <laughs> stuff down, pull out a laptop, and start playing Dota. Mm-hmm. Which, <laughs> I mean, I pulled out the laptop and played some Underlords.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people are doing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like, the media area the is just
4: filled with people playing games. Oh, my um, God. So, so now I'm sort of on, like, tier three of, like, upgrades for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, Keep climbing that ladder. T- yeah, and... The so <laughs> The media ones basically, they're these sort of temporary setups where every other row, um, they kind of just get put over the row. Mm-hmm. Um, these kind of big wooden kind of boards um, that create like a big working area. And they have power strips, they have um, Ethernet cables, all the stuff you'd expect at like a media section in a sports stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm feeling pretty good at this point. Like I get a beer, everything's going great. Um, and then I go to use the restroom. And. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> We don't need, like, a, a play-by-play. The important part the <laughs> is bad. wheels opening the door, the handles jiggling. Well, the into the door. someone absolutely was smoking in the restroom right. before me because there were just a bunch of cigarette butts in the ground, and I was, like, oh, waiting in wow. the, um, <laughs> the smoke. And, like, I accidentally ripped my, my wristband, and it falls into the pot. So I'm like, all right, now I'm like absolutely trapped in here. Like, I cannot leave. Um, even if I wanted to go out and come back, I couldn't. Um, and that seems like it's going to be a non-issue insofar as I've already kind of committed Wait, so to being here the whole down. day. Yeah.
5: Like, well, what I <laughs> Despite, Don't attempt to retrieve it. Just ask
4: them. the staff to help me out. <laughs>
5: Despite all the signs saying do not flush paper down, you flush everything wristband yeah. down. <laughs> A very valuable wristband yeah. So, yeah, down the shit pit. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: ticket resellers just <trying> <laughs> buy those for
4: thousands of Oh, God. Uh, um, so you're trapped yeah. in the stadium. So, so now I know I'm like extra trapped in the stadium, not just by my own volition, but now kind of like just as procedurally. So, it's about this time that I get a message that um, one of our our contacts at Valve has an extra VIP ticket for the day. Yeah. Which, I'm like, hell yeah, okay, I'm going to, like, abandon now my, like, third level of luxury in the media area and head up to the the VIP. Um, only to find that the guy needs to meet me outside the stadium and I can't get back in because I don't have a wristband (laughs) so So you get some rubber gloves and head back to that (laughs)
5: bathroom. oh my god
4: (laughs) so eventually it it takes about 30 minutes to work it out um, but he finds a way to sort of use his like I work for fucking Valve Powers to like be able to use the staircase and seems to be basically the only person in the entire stadium with that authority Um, so he comes down he gives me the ticket and then I'm able to like uh, pretend that I never had a ticket to be or wristband to begin with, and just like basically go outside, walk upstairs, and get to the valve area. Whoa! Um, You've ascended. Yeah. So, I'm, <laughs> and I'm literally sort of moving up a little bit every time to the top of the pyramid, um, but not to like level five, the sort of the um, the, the sinking ship area of the stadium, <laughs> which is sort of like Icker and hubris. Like you
6: can't you can't go that high. <laughs> so,
4: um so the VIP area is actually really great it's it's by this point it's like 8 pm and there's like one best of three to go, which ends up being a long one and Wait, what, what, it was in, was it in English? Um, no, so I know that um, we'll hear about a different VIP experience soon. Um, mm-hmm. But when I was there, I didn't see any like additional screens mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, they might have set those up the next day. But it really was just the same thing except sort of exactly on eye level with the, the big screens. Um, and the other thing is they had delivery food. Um, so every single actual like uh, box had someone waiting outside of it, and you could t- take the menu, point at what you wanted, and they'd bring it to you. Oh, now, it's unfortunately, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, just, um,
8: just hope no one kills them on the way. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, that to we yes, that's wait three more minutes. Yes, that's why they don't go to level five. <laughs> <Yikes>. <laughs> no, no couriers ever survive level five. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, but unfortunately, it's, like, 9 p.m., so there's no more, like, uh, actual, like, enviable food. So I get basically, like, a, a chunk of, like, potato wedges that yep. are kind of, like, cold and, and calcified by this point with a big, like, kind of slick of cheese on them. Um, and then I, I was like, I want some of the short ribs. And they're like, we don't have the short ribs. So I got this, like, utterly tasteless marinara. Um, like, it is sort of amazing to me that, like, it, it truly was just, like, like squishy squishy water? Yeah, Will. or like <laughs> chewy air. Like chewy it. air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first thing Will did
0: when he sat down when after this day was over was like, I had some chewy air. Like, it was like <laughs> oh it was Marinara it
3: was like chewy air. But you don't so. know who We was don't know playing,
0: what he's talking about. Or who was playing <laughs> that day.
4: <laughs> Potato wedges with cheese whiz on them and then some like absolutely like the marinara sauce was like chewy air. So, but we get to the, to the very end of it and I feel like, you know, the lights come up and I'm sort of like, where, what has happened? Where have I been? And it's, it's so surreal to, I don't know if you ever like had a day where you were working you started before the sun rose and you just didn't look outside until it set again. Mm-hmm. Um, You just like, it totally messes with like, I think your circadian rhythm, but also your sense of like, how long have I really been here? Um,
6: Without we'll remembering any matches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah.
4: So that's uh, that was my sort of slow ascension um, but also sort of slow descent into madness
8: well that sounds fun <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll just very very
1: quickly tack on that after that we I had I had an adventure getting to the stadium and then we um, met up and decided to go to the late show so it wasn't quite over for you oh my god and um, it wasn't as exciting as Shang Lun's experience at The Late Show, except for the fact that we finally got to sit down and have a beer with
8: Titus Barrett Bromto.
5: Yeah. How beautiful boy. Yeah.
1: And there were some other folks that were friends of his in the bar. And, um, For whatever reason, it like the conversation was sort of pretty friendly and casual, and then very quickly took a swerve to like contemporary geopolitics. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what Dota is. That is what Dota is. It was like the conversation was almost like straight out of Marx's volume three of Capital, (laughs) like the tendency of the rate of profit to fall, (laughs) where we were talking about like truck drivers and automation and labor and then isolationism of different countries. And I, I, you Planet probably refugees, don't remember. Like, yeah. I remember
4: this. <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: And then we talked about underlords.
5: Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that still the same conversation? It fits in.
0: And yeah, I think that there's definitely going to be a need to unpack a lot of the economic realities of Joda in the episode coming up. Mm-hmm.
5: I will also say
1: that, uh,
8: Titus Barrett,
1: was an absolute gentleman because there was a confusion about tickets, and so when we're boarding the bus, um, there was only two tickets. Mm. And so he was like, oh, you take this. And then he just got on the bus and then like pulled a real flex move and somehow got into the hotel just yeah. like by kind of sneaking in. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> so
3: very, very gallant. I have a theory. I think that
8: Titus Barrett Ramto
3: is ice frog. Yeah, <laughs> because there's no way that he's at the center of every single thing that we were
0: seeing. Yeah, and he's playing Dota the right way, which is like selling tickets you bought and like going to all the other events,
1: sneaking into the late show.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah, our Who, hero. Who's he's, he's
0: organizing the Camel Meetup.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm serious. Yeah, wow. I'm, so I'm not
0: joking. We're gonna, wow. Later today, okay. we're going to a, a like a pub stop, of, of what was used to be called Barcraft in, in, Star, in Starcraft years, but like a. We'll be reporting on that later, how that goes. But like, rewind a moment.
8: Yeah, so let's um, see what happened with everyone else. Uh, While Will was at the stadium, um, we had split up into a few groups, Um, one who went to an arcade and the other one who went back to the stadium. Um, So we went to the arcade first to go and look for this screening of the Dota 2 TI. And we couldn't find anything there. <laughs> it was a Very large arcade.
3: We saw a lot just, of things there, but not Dota. There
1: yeah. of, well, there was a lot of smoking and people playing Dota.
8: Were there people playing Dota? I didn't see anyone playing. On the upper cafe. floor. Ah, yeah. oh, I we're see. We're talking about the arcade. No, that's f- a night cafe. N- night cafe on the upper floor where people were playing oh, Dota. Oh, yeah. right, right,
0: oh the right, One that right, was
7: one floor
8: down. We went to Fire.
7: Arcade, arcade Fire.
0: fire yeah. <laughs> That's the name of the arcade. <laughs> yeah, Felonia, how did you know about this place? Because you suggested it, I think.
6: Well, this was the place where a bunch of my indie developers friends who led me there last time, and they were saying it's the only remaining real arcade mm-hmm. center in mainland China. Because recently, um, yeah. like a lot of arcade was built on top of like malls. Mm-hmm. Where it was mostly dancing machines mm-hmm. and 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 other gambling um, game, and so basically, Arcade Fire remains its original form of still having a lot of things that's produced in the 70s and 80s, a lot of old arcade games. And if you walk in, you will be able to see two generations of player. Mm-hmm. One is with a slightly older um, age that was born in the 70s or 80s that's playing the old game that mm-hmm. they used to play when they were young, and then outside, um. That little um, arcade game. You you see sports machine and dancing machine and mm-hmm. all those music games where mm-hmm. a teenager age generation was playing on that, and they were definitely not mixed.
5: That's a really I had never I didn't notice it, but you're right. The games were set out um, almost by decade, room by room. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I was you know I'm in the I guess the slightly older group in the back room. I'm like <laughs> Street Fighter Two, Time Crisis, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then I'm like oh, those. Games where you hit the drums? Oh, no, I can't, I can't, I can't play with the kids down. who are, like, 25. <laughs> and then when I finished my Time Crisis game, there was that older guy who looks about 40 or something, nice. and I was, like, handing him the pistol. I'm like, hey, man, do you want to finish my game?
1: <laughs>
5: but can you tell us more about the history of
3: arcade games uh, what is the word, parlors in China and maybe the through line to Dota?
6: Okay, so um, it's like a very crucial part of Chinese game history because mm-hmm. um, originally we the government doesn't look at game as if it's something positive for the industry or for the people. So uh, basically in the beginning um, of things, arcade, parlor was the first thing that Chinese gamers get get, get to get to get to interact with and it's normally those very shabby rooms very shabby small Mm. normally underground rooms Mm. that's near school and where boys would just gather Mm. in and where girls are particularly not um very interested in like when i was Mm. when i was very young my parents told me that you can play game at home but never to go to those weird game bars as underground and and so so it's normally but but I did sneak in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as players instinct. So um there was a certain at- atmosphere of rebels in mm-hmm. those games where where people would play truant um in order to to skip schools so to in order to play in, and the majority of them were teenager boys. Mm-hmm. So
0: there's the truancy implication. Was there also like a relationship with gambling that made them no. seem uh uh-huh. no so not, this was not, not
6: really. And another really Important um, piece of game history related to that that game parlour is uh, originally when um, when game consoles and game machines was imported to uh, from. To China from overseas, it was very very expensive, so mm. it's not um, okay. suitable for a single household to buy them. And mm. so um, a lot a lot of that happened in a weird way. Of in an arcade game hall, you will also be able to see some console games um, and, right. and attached to TV, mm. and, and that was hourly rent. So so you you get to play that console game um, by an hourly rate. It's like
3: VR now.
6: Um, yeah, right, a little bit like that. This is
1: a slightly different context, but um, a friend of a few of us on the team, Hannah Verman, is working on doing a study of oral histories of um, oh. arcades in Hong Kong specifically. Mm-hmm. And so she's interviewing a lot of people who are kind of older now, they're, they're fully grown adults, but spent a lot of time uh, in arcades when they were, when they were young. And apparently the thing that she says that they repeat again and again is that all of the folks that she's interviewed associate those arcade parlors with um, basically the mafia. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And and what's interesting is that there's been a really really significant uh, the drop in the amount of arcades that are closing down. And what's like uh, coming up in place are actually a new type of arcade that is featured in malls that is actually targeting children mm-hmm. instead which we encountered yeah. and we can talk about a little bit later when we went to the mall to go watch the Um, lgd and vt game
7: because i grew up in a different part of china which is already shabbier (laughs) Uh, in my memory uh, arcade parlors are always dangerous and it always has something to do with the first generation of chinese people who watched hong kong films or american films we watched it in a video shop which Mm -hmm. is also not a favorite place for people to go next to a pool Hmm. And the pool is not, not also not a place where your car- uh, parents want you to be. And then if there's arcade shop. Sometimes they are merged together.
3: Sorry, you mean pool, is a swimming pool, or pool tables?
7: Oh, pool tables. Yeah, Sorry. Ah. yeah. Oh, right. yeah that's weird.
3: Interesting. No, just yeah, yeah, I thought it was,
0: but it's Yeah, it starts with a capital P
7: so it, and yes. rhymes
0: with T, and that stands for trouble. Yeah. Because pool is trouble.
7: That too. What?
0: In River City. <laughs> what? You don't know the music, man?
4: We got trouble. Right here in River City, City. When the capital T and that rhymes with P and that stands for pool We surely got trouble. We sure
0: got trouble Right here in River City Gotta figure out
8: a way to keep the young ones moral after school. I, <laughs> <we got trouble>. <laughs> what?
3: <laughs> okay, okay, it's <okay>.
8: gibber So, <laughs> <yes, gibberish.
7: laughs>
3: so It's trouble?
7: Um, so the arcade shop in my area of China is always linked to crime. Gumbling or not,
3: mm-hmm.
0: S-
7: I and now as you said, um, maybe video game or game as a whole has to reappear in China with a very healthy face and so mouse and clean.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the one that we walked into um, in the mall had literally chairs for children that were uh, in the shape of princess dresses, like like it was wow. very very was like something out of a wedding. It was like, yeah yeah.
0: These comments about having like the videos that you can watch there or the arcades that you can rent there make a lot of sense because in the arcade, as we were moving from like the big dancing machines and rhythm machines to the Street Fighter cabinets and the one-on-ones, back in the back room were a bunch of PCs and they were configured and arranged uh, with fight sticks so that you could play contemporary fighting right. games. And they also had a streaming setup back there with a stage, like a small raised stage. And there was a man on a video booth uh, with a couple monitors, had a Twitch stream open. So I, I think that they do fighting game competitions there. And it makes a lot of sense because one floor up from that, we walk in and it's just like cubicle after cubicle uh, of people playing like Dota, League of Legends, Teamfight Tactics, some people watching videos with private rooms you could rent. And we were thinking, oh, on the second floor, maybe we could watch a match of Dota. Though that did not happen.
7: Speak of League of Legends. Will and Li Shang-Lun discovered League of Legends of wealthy people inside that fire arcade.
3: Oh, yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay, For so space. inside
5: arcade fire. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Peter. above the reception there was... Um you know, me and my ignorance of, um, you know, uh, Chinese billionaires, I didn't recognize most of the faces, but on the far left, there was a photograph of, I think the first one was Bill Gates, mm. yes. Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. Warren Buffett, yeah. and then like, yeah, oh, I, no, ah. and, then, and then you know, everybody but Jeff Bezos and then way at the <laughs> yeah. other end, I'm like, a whole lot of Chinese faces, I don't know. And then Mark Zuckerberg. And then so, I'm yeah. um, young And was, Soros. And George Soros. Yeah, yeah, in
7: the end. And in the middle is like the richest real estate person in Hong Kong and China. And who who are they? Li Jia Chen, and The guy t- practically owns Hong Kong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, wow. and there's then the, there's the Wang English Sishong. Teacher. Oh, yeah. Wang <laughs> Sishong. And then there's Yu Hong, the English teacher. Right.
3: Who's just like a very rich English teacher. Yeah, it yeah. was like, yeah, it's it a, a very... He old...
6: training school that sends students abroad. And for for studying yeah. for study TOEFL Arts.
5: It was yeah, it was the wall of the thing The Wall of Immortals. Yeah. Of um
8: Hall of fame. League of Legends. <laughs>
3: it was very surreal because this is above all the prizes that you can cash in your tickets for.
8: Yeah. It's just to show you how rich you can get <laughs> yeah, by it's playing like, all oh, games. If you get the tickets,
3: You could get <laughs> a fortune.
8: Mm-hmm. Um, so after seeing this very strange yeah. um Moment in time, like <laughs> encapsulated in this arcade place, we realized that the upstairs. Um, we tried to go and watch a game of Derta in the nice
7: buffet. Yeah, in yeah. the net
8: cafe that was attached to it, and we couldn't do it because we didn't have any form of identification on us. Mm-hmm. I think
0: Polonia had ID, but the rest of us just no. had like digital pictures of ID, yeah, and that was not, not that now. wasn't good enough.
8: Um, so we changed locations. Mm. Well, we ate a spot. we
0: ate a frozen egg,
8: I'm and sorry. then we
0: changed locations. <laughs>
8: <laughs> Wang Sichuan also invested
6: invested in that, that cafe chain. Right, wow. so this is actually owned by Wang Sichuan. Wow. interesting. Part of yeah. But, like, once we were in the internet cafe, I was actually looking around because I think it's the best way to judge what, what is the most popular game actually mm-hmm. happening right there um, so mm-hmm. there are one third of people playing League of Legends mm-hmm. and very very few people watching Dota or playing Dota like games mm-hmm. and very very few people playing um, World of Warcraft mm-hmm. and, and there are also a variety of other weird games that I can't re- can't even recognize because they were pre- producing new games every year mm-hmm. but then there was quite a different um, experience compared with arcade which also could link back to history where like people born in the 70s who play arcade games are more getting used to the social setting of the game where a game is supposed to be very competitive and, and, and where you're supposed to playing it in a social setting with people watching while mm. in the internet cafe is one of those individual seats that, yeah. uh, that you that you monopoly your screen and people are not getting used to having other people staring at their screen so it's a very different set of um, mindset attaching to gaming
0: Totally, yeah. I did take a peek into some of the private rooms because they had their doors like yeah. slightly ajar, and there were some like full Dota teams in those rooms. But then, uh, and they were like smoking cigarettes, okay. and then they like would close their
3: doors when I like walked <laughs> by. Yeah. I think the evolution of private public space of games is reflected in the way that we consume esports as well. Mm-hmm. So initially, games are arcade parlours where it's very social and physical, as you point out, and then they enter the home space and suddenly this is when the identity of gamers starts to really emerge because you're spending time in a committed way mm-hmm. uh, in the space that you build. Um, and then in come mobile gamers, right? Mm-hmm. With the uh, advent of mobile consoles like the nintendo mm-hmm. ds and now on every phone you can play your underlords you can play your hearthstone um, and so the game personal space becomes much smaller on the train at the stadium and that's reflected in the way that people are experiencing esports. but here at the international we see the kind of atavistic re- reversion mm-hmm. to the initial social space suddenly we're hungry again for the spectacle that mm-hmm. is implicitly social and physical Absolutely. which makes sense when we went to the mall
7: which is another spectacle. So we went to the <laughs> mall, whose name is the Super Brand Mall.
3: <laughs> it's a conglomeration of brands. So they have a directory, but it's just the logos. Yeah.
0: And the reason we went there is because Vici Gaming, they have a like a mansion that the team lives at and they practice in. And they were showing Dota. They were showing the international. Yeah. And you could pay 200 RMB to get in for the day, but they filled up. So they told other friends to go to Super Brand Mall. And on the third floor. Uh, It was me, Stephanie, Yang Jing, and Li Sheng Lun and we walk in and there's like a giant car ad with a shield, shield. like the ages of champions flanked by red cars. And then we walk past it and there's like a carpeted, like almost like a catering space with a hundred chairs that are all labeled and a massive bright screen. PA system with like six speakers like in your face and a little booth and then a series of booths for busy coffee sponsored by LGD. Mm, Free. Free. It was good coffee. Pepsi.
1: Soda.
0: Uh, (laughs) Some other raffle. Cosplayer who was Uh, we thought it was Legion Commander but then he he said said it was Dragon Knight.
7: Yeah and he himself is a game map editor Mm. and a Dota fan. It's funny that he's been there for two days. People are taking photos with him, but he never had a selfie moment. So he asked me to do a photo of him in front of the. And he did like a pose. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: He did a good pose. And so we,
0: we paid 130 RMB, or three of us did, uh, uh, to <laughs> get like Shang little. S-
7: them all. <laughs> of, of course, we got like
0: swag bags, uh, which had like coupons and like treats. And things in them, and then we like sat down to watch some Dota.
1: Throwback to bowling. season one, <laughs> there were m ms in there, too. There were
6: yeah. m ms In the,
3: gab- the grab bags. In the grab yes. bags. Yeah. So, just to uh, reinstate, <laughs> Young yeah. and Patrick came across this first, and you approached the stage from the correct end. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but, but you?
3: Well, no. We had been in like <laughs> the
1: princess uh, children's gambling... Which was
3: particularly strange as a space, right? Yeah. What's a princess children's gambling parlor? (laughs) Wouldn't you like to know? It's the new arcade parlor. So, uh, Filania, you were saying that the arcade fire was the only real one in China? Mm -hmm. This is one of the ones that are replacing that, which are essentially gambling centers for children. There were claw machines for every product you could imagine. You could, for example, have ice cream out of a claw machine.
5: Yeah, yeah, I like I like to not know whether I'm going to get what I buy. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
7: there yeah. were a lot of like
1: Plico, or what what is it called? Not uh plinko.
0: Pachinko. Pachinko. A lot of those are very different. Like, yeah, <laughs> there,
1: were like, Ash, like, Ash, there were a lot of pachinko like there were a lot of pachinko like machines, but targeted towards children. Did they, it have uh, the one
0: where it's like a slippery table yeah. and you hurl coins
3: on it? Yeah, they had a lot of water-based <sighs> machines. There was a lot of. Water enclosed in an arcade cabinet. I uh, was
7: born too early in this country.
1: <laughs>
7: <laughs>
1: but most importantly, they had child sized seats that were wearing princess dresses. And it was very much exactly. really targeted
3: uh, towards both same, girls same. and boys. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably even more so to girls, even. Yeah.
1: So we got lost in there for a minute and we lo- we separated from you.
3: And then we wandered out and tried to find the space. And we went up and I said, hey, isn't that uh, the Aegis? The Aegis? I didn't know what it was. The the ages, <laughs>
6: <laughs> and
3: then I went, "Oh no, it's just like a Pokeball. Never mind." And <laughs> Stephanie, that, "No, that definitely is it. But there's no other Dota symbol on this yeah giant that's stand. There's no word Dota. There's no the international. That's right. And okay. we just match up like the Chinese slowly trying to find the words, and all we can get is the dates.
1: Yeah, we're we're literally. I mean, if we had actually looked with our eyes. and looked around we would have realized that this was like the actual space but instead we were with like laser focus just like looking at the Chinese characters, saying like, I don't see the word Dota. Yeah, and like, but,
3: but maybe this will tell us where the stage is.
1: Yeah, And then you're like messaging. waving at us, because we're on like the fourth floor, and you're just like wildly waving your hands <laughs> at us to try to say like, come down.
3: Knife tower. <laughs> Patrick has laser vision. Every single time I walk into a large space and he's present, he just knows that I've walked in and can somehow attract my attention.
7: Oh, he That's really true. likes you.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh. I keep my eyes honed
0: on Li Shenglin as he he, <laughs> he refused to enter the carpeted yeah. like place. Yeah, but funny. also many people did because you could just like stand around in the mall and watch Dota
7: because it was I loud as hell. A That's the crazy part. So I went in and out of the area and tried to interview people and I assumed that they are just passers by and so oh, this is this is a way to spend a day mm-hmm. paying money or not. But it turned out that they are there specifically for Dota. They didn't get the chance to buy a ticket at Ti as most people, mm-hmm. or they didn't have enough money, or they saved all their money to buy a ticket in the, on the final day, mm-hmm. and they haven't an, basically a week in Shanghai. That's a weird thing. Like you can basically watch this game wherever you are, but they have to come to Shanghai from all over China. Right. That's so wow. interesting. Yeah.
0: and like I, I think there is one match that is. Uh, worth mentioning and oh, it's yeah. interesting to me that we Will forgot but it was the match that day between Vici Gaming and LGD yes, which is the two heavyweight remember, unbeaten, unbeaten Chinese teams and they kind of got together that afternoon and yeah. the stadium's packed and the malls have people everybody's watching Dota for a little bit and they just ha- proceed to have like a polite game kind of like uncontroversial game of Dota where LGD
3: kind of clearly just best Fiji just plainly and simply through a couple games mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but if the, you're saying to me that there's a qualitative difference in the, the the presentation or the feel of this game
4: somehow the feel and i'd be i'd be really interested because one of the things that dota does is because of its api you can actually go ahead and look up incredibly detailed stats about every single game um, to see if this was just a perception thing, because it, it, in some ways it adheres to a, a narrative about like Chinese Dota, mm. a little bit, um, yeah. What is that narrative? And that narrative is that it's it's more collectivist. People are more interested in sort of like farming activities yeah. rather than sort of you know, highly, you know, the fighting. And I Almost. in the past that has not always been borne out by data, but it, it feels like this. Really, like I, I felt this too. Uh, now that I remember, um, <laughs> yeah. of like this is just not as exciting. As the western games because they're not like being as you know making these daring individual feats which i'm sure they were but i just was not perceiving them in that way
1: well isn't it more like um both teams aren't going to enter a fight that they can't win and so i'm not i don't know enough high level dota but like everything is a game of like positioning and strategy mm-hmm. so You know, there might there's never any sort of big blowout, but like so much is happening, just almost at like a higher level that I'm not able to like immediately understand. But it was like clear to me when I was watching them that there was so many power plays. I just wasn't necessarily able to understand exactly how that was working.
7: Uh, Speaking of Chinese ways of playing dota, I spoke to a couple sitting inside the mall area, and they are Chinese, but they actually flew from Seattle to Shanghai to watch wow. this game and they already spent 16,000 for the final day ticket mm-hmm. so they want to sit out uh, outside of the stadium earlier this week and i asked them how did they meet so they're second generation no they're first generation immigrants together with their pa- parents but they were already 10 or 11 and the guy and the girl met each other on dada in the states mm-hmm. and i asked how how did that happen like out of all this probability they said because overseas Chinese, like Mandarin speakers, they like to play overseas Chinese who speaks Mandarin. Mm -hmm. And I asked them further, like, why? They said, because we play differently. First, there is linguistic barrier because they they were speaking Mandarin still when they were first there. And secondly, they said, the foreigners like to play against whoever is there available. Mm -hmm. And we don't. (laughs) We want to play with people that we know and we feel safer and we don't yell as much, and we right. don't get yelled at I can as definitely much as right. I can get
1: behind this style of playing Dota.
0: <laughs> yeah, so one of the things that Stephanie and I have tried to do when we had to do Dota for research is we need to produce a five stack of people to play a couple hundred hours. Because that's do it. Because but I don't because like being yelled at on the internet. You don't want to like get into a game where it's two of you. It's almost like going to an escape room where they put the two of you with a bunch of people you don't know, and they might play escape rooms very differently. In this case, you might get yelled at, and like for us, that's like really stressful. And so we uh, would get friends to fill in the other three spots so we could like play against humans but not get yelled at. And and just enjoy kind of like messing up the game on our side of the map and losing a lot, uh, just so that we could learn like what's going on.
6: Just to echo on what Jin just said, uh, not only Dota, but also Dota-like game, like LOL and Honor of Kings. Um, Like the the Chinese players tend to play with their friends and we call it Mm. Kai Hei in in Chinese, which Mm -hmm. means we are sort of hacking other groups of people.
4: Mm -hmm.
7: (laughs) I think this is important because also in the stadium, a boy was talking to me about playing Dota in China. Yeah. Uh, because they're the real rare ones, according to them, they don't have as many people to play with as LOL. And I asked why. They said, "Oh, that's partially because of Dollar itself, and the other reason is," they said, "it Valve is such a Buddhist uh, company." No. Valve, <laughs> is a, Buddhist? Valve is a Buddhist. Company? a Buddhist company. Like, Buddhist. It is 40. one
6: of those internet
7: slan. Slan. mean, it doesn't care that much. Like. I told Patrick about this 9.96 work schedule, like 9 a.m., 9 p.m., six days a week, which is the new normal here. But he said, well, people just get off work at five, so they don't want to put extra work on it. And they are partnering up with a Chinese Buddhist company, which is Perfect World. They don't care that much either. They're more interested in developing their own games, so they kind of left dollar aside, Chinese dollar side. They didn't put as much as effort as for example Tencent did for LOL. And I said, so do you hate them for that? Uh, maybe I-, <laughs> I come out strong. And he said, No no no, I we regret that but we're also happy Tencent or companies like Tencent didn't really get their hand on dollar. Because when Tencent does it usually would insert a lot of Tencent stuff in a game which would Significantly change the game, and very soon Tencent would build their own dollar.
1: Can you? Uh, what What is What does it mean to insert Tencent stuff for them?
6: Uh, Tencent is very good at commercial yeah. things. Where, you have to where, buy more, and, where they're normally ruining the original game experience by inserting certain um in-game in-game payment um system that that make them to be the best. Um, mm-hmm. or most money winning company in the entire world, but, but there is a certain sentiment that's against Tencent in the play, player, especially the hard pl- players, hardcore players mm-hmm. group, where they, they don't think Tencent is a very decent, decent game company.
0: Right. Because if you're not paying in League of Legends, you only have access to a limited hero pool. Yeah. Whereas oh. Dota, like everything is free to play, except then you can get lots of cosmetics. And there yes. are cosmetics in League 2, but the locked hero pool, I think, is a big... You like collect heroes as you purchase them mm-hmm. over the course That's of true. your playing lifetime.
7: So if Tencent is in the game, you have to buy the fart lady.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> Not hero. Buddhist.
7: Yeah. yeah. So Dota is a Buddhist game in China, mm-hmm. too.
3: The people that I've talked to seem to all have a love-hate relationship. Like they'll always mention these kind of points that Valve is not being very hands-on with community building Mm -hmm. or with creating um, that that sense uh, of community. But uh, they don't mind because they're doing such a great job at maintaining the game for the fans. Uh, Yeah.
7: Other thing I get is like a lot of people I talk to they know Steam because of Dota and they know Valve because of Dota. So Dota is the start, the source.
3: Yeah, and, and then Valve is the follow-on. Like, yeah, oh, and the love of
7: Dota is so deep, mm. so it would also help uh, Valve or Steam to build a re- really good image here.
1: It's really interesting that with League of Legends, it you have to pay to unlock heroes, and that changes the gameplay. But with Valve, you can pay lots of money to get cosmetic items and the Arcana. And that doesn't really affect the gameplay because the animations are all the same. You're not getting more power by spending money. But what it totally does change, and this is something that we've been noticing in the stadium or I've been noticing, is it changes the watching of the game because I don't play Dota enough to be able to recognize all the obscure costumes that the that the heroes are in, so I'm like, is that the Juggernaut? Mm-hmm. Is that tiny? Like, I just I just stare really
0: hard at that weird Ricky Maru pick. So like, we were, is that Ricky? Is, he has yeah, yeah. Arm.
1: Alex and I were, were commentating the game at that point, and and I was just like, I don't know. Some people <laughs> are telling me this is a Ricky game by process of illumination, This has to be. Um, this has to be the one on the right. And so I almost like the way I can recognize it is through the animations, but I'm doing this like cross reference thing. And so it's almost like we're a snake where we can't actually see the hero if they're still, but if they're moving, that's my only way of recognizing it.
8: Do they have a sense of elitism? Like the people who are playing it, if you don't have any of these cosmetic items,
4: it's totally a status thing. Totally. Totally, it's like we, it's a lot. It's a lot more like a social network yeah. um, than it is. Like, imagine if you could buy like things for your Facebook profile like ten years ago.
1: And the amount of money this pumps into the ecosystem far outweighs the like problems for uh, you know newcomers watching the game.
3: They honed this with TF two, right? Mm. The hats.
8: Yeah, I got I got bullied for not having a cool hat in TM2.
0: Yeah, we were talking to a friend uh, whose kid was bullied, and the the way they bullied him was by calling him no skin Oh. No skin. They
4: were like no skin over here. No. Skin. Oh, that happened to me. No skin? You have no skin either? Well, oh, yeah, and then these, after I was bad, these kids offered to to coach me if I would buy them skins. It's <laughs> like, you're like 11 years old, you need wow. to get the Very fuck out great. of here. I'm
8: great.
4: not being shaken down here.
8: <laughs> um, so speaking about playing with your friends, we're going to take a break, and after the break, we'll talk about playing Dirted Together.
1: Yes!
5: yes.
2: During the break, the team talks about all the ways we've been playing Dota. From a Mercedes-Benz arena and the Super brand mall, to the laptops in our apartment and the night cafe across the street.
0: Yeah, it seems like this week, like, one of the impulses, kind of like on the escape room trip, was like, can we, like, get in there and start, like, playing it? and play? Especially
1: since we apparently don't remember any of the games. <laughs> oh no! I
0: mean, I think that heart of playing dota is actually getting into the play-by-play of the games but broadly speaking what are some of the ways that we've been playing around dota in the
4: stadium
5: yeah so over the last couple of days i found that um this is stopping thinking as an academic and kind of going back to my life as an artist that i was just getting overwhelmed and a bit um a bit bored with the all-encompassing spectacle and I wasn't seeing anything new and it's something to do with the noise and um and also that you know I'm not really engaged with um the commentary because mm. um, my mandarin is not up to scratch so I just started kind of hiding in the dark corner of of our row um putting my headphones in and just blasting something that would kind of change my mood um, <laughs> well, <through laughs> thing too. yeah I went through a few different things, no, God, i got to remember. Um, I was Yesterday, I was listening to um, a couple tracks by Brian Eno on repeat. Um, <laughs> like there's... Music for, music for Dota. No, dude. no, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't on the ambient, I was a bit more on the like... Wrong side. Um, there's... he did a cover of the Velvet Underground's uh, I'm Set Free on the Big Ship album a couple of years ago. Um, this is kind of his like dystopian Brexit album. Um, so I was listening to that, and um, and then another track, um, On Some Faraway Beach, which I think is from um, Here Come the Warm Jets, or mm-hmm. something like that, um, and I was listening to Cypress Hill for a while, um, I don't know, I, I was just trying to Can find... Can we get you to
3: curate a Spotify playlist for <laughs> yeah. people to watch Dota too? Um,
5: actually, it was old Cypress Hill remixes, it was um, the Fuji's doing Cypress Hill, mm-hmm. of all things. Oh, wow. Anyway... Um, but it was just an attempt to try to see the whole thing a bit differently and try to detach from the game a bit and just see, you know, remember big things that I find myself forgetting, that we're sitting in this kind of, you know, futuristic coliseum that we're very much locked in, you know. There's, there's no roof, there's no, as Will was saying, you can't tell what time of day it is, and it was try- trying to remind myself that we're in this capsule with this large number of people. Um, and I was sketching in my notebook. Um, remembering like uh, Italian kind of dystopian architects from the seventies, writing about this the continuous monument, you know, this box that we lock ourselves into when um, when the world goes to pot. But yeah, so that that was a way that I found it very enjoyable, and I'd still find myself getting transfixed on the game. But it was just an attempt to detach myself a bit from the space and retreat into um, something that would block out. Um, Block out the sound and block out the context, and allow me to try to try to see things a little bit differently.
1: Just so. Um... While this was going on, Alex chung Lun and I were commentating in a more traditional way and we actually just forgot that you were there, despite the fact that you were... Right <laughs> well, I, I barely was. And then know. when we would look over at you, you were rocking back and forth in your seat. <laughs> so you were in your own world, but you were like rocking back and forth in your seat while staring at the screen. <laughs> oh, <my God>. <laughs> I think the way Alex said it was that it looked like you had thousands of dollars that you would bet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Y'all were commentating, but chung Lun you rarely...
3: Commentate games. They just don't have access to the same vocabulary mm-hmm. that everyone else in the stadium does. <laughs> and I compare it to just a magnificent cult because there's so much energy and time poured into learning uh, this very specific and unusual system mm-hmm. that it becomes a point of pride that you can engage in this conversation with other people. And the more that you talk about it with those other people, confirming your own knowledge and sense of belonging in the group, Um, the kind of better you feel about your wasted hours, I think. And that's a very ungenerous take, right? The the flip side of it is that people are very close to this community. It's their entire lives. Um, So I wanted to access that knowledge without having any of that knowledge. (laughs) right? And so I thought, well, okay, I'm a game designer. Maybe I should make a game that somehow uses and and, um, builds on this existing obsession in a way that allows people to feel good about themselves. Kind of like how I think Eric Zimmerman describes the development of the metagame as Mm -hmm. uh, a game for people who can't stop talking about games, Mm -hmm. which is just game designers. (laughs) So when it was first shown at GDC, uh, Mm -hmm. I was there in the pilot year, the metagame is a game which asks you to compare two games, uh, and game designers are playing this with great fervor because it's just a debate game uh, involving deep lore, right? Basically, yeah. Of of game studies, <laughs> uh, which is <laughs> in the format of a card <laughs> game inspired by like something akin to Magic: The Gathering. Because at that original GDC, weren't, didn't you have to collect yeah, the so, cards? Yeah. So, you would have different debate cards and different um, game cards. Like, mm-hmm. oh, here's Pong. Here's GDA Five. Uh, it wasn't out back then. So GDA Three actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone would ask, you, uh, challenge you by saying, which game is? Funnier, which game will last longer in time? Which game is mm. more sexist? Uh-huh. Uh, and then you would say, oh, I think it's this versus this, give your arguments, and then everyone around you would adjudicate, say who won, yeah. and the winner would take the cards of the other player. Um, so you were just trying to... Cl- and it became quite vicious and brutal. There was this mm. under, uh, underground circuit of people trading these metagame cards and doing huge debates. Yep. So it worked really well. But in the same spirit of, okay, maybe we can just use that, Uh, foundation as the basis of this game, I wanted to make a series of small mini-games that were in the same vein of metagame, but for Dota. Uh, So one of them I made was a Ranker, where Mm. it would give you an adjective on the top, such as easy to play, or uh, interesting to watch, or has good art, Mm -hmm. and then it gave you five random Dota heroes from the pool uh, of massive Dota heroes, Mm -hmm. 112 or (laughs) whatever. And so you might be asked to rank. Actually, hang on. Maybe I'll pull it out and read. Yeah, the let's examples. do it, Let's do a few. And if you want to play, head to KnifeTower.com. <laughs> okay, so here's here's one good for new players. There's Dazzle, Sniper, Keeper of the Light, Ricky, and Spirit Breaker. So now you need to order them. Which one of these is good for new players? Which one of these is bad? Snipers Ricky Snipers first. Sniper. Ricky is tempting to new players, but Keeper not good the light, for
1: new players. Or Dazzle. You? Ricky, who was the last
4: fear fear breaker?
1: I think fear breaker.
4: Honestly, all none of those are terrible for new players. Yeah. But sniper is a good one to start yeah, with cuz he's just like
0: point click shoot. And he has it's a like long key. range so you can be like kind of <laughs> defensive despite yourself. Though mm-hmm. a lot of noobs are not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brown Boons first. Uh, <laughs>
3: um <laughs> I'd put dazzle. Uh, then side. dazzle. dazzle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think I agree with you. Then
8: yeah. Templar here her called Dazzle. <laughs> Dazzle! The oh. the oh. They all
3: seem fake, none of these seem... Sniper, that's not a hero, that's... Think, <laughs> that's, a, that's a vocation. That's vocation. occupation, <laughs> like, yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: yeah. Spearbreaker's probably... <laughs> was Sniper named Sniper at birth? And then, like, oh, I guess I have to do this. Like, yeah, I Sniper the Deadeye, I think it's the more. Maybe you like, yeah. a butler name? like right. <laughs> or
5: something? Right. <laughs> what
3: is gonna do. Um, I'll, we'll do another example, <laughs> yeah. maybe. Uh, so here's a tragic backstory. Ooh. Ooh! We have Lion, Jakiro, Huskar. Dragon Knight and Ember Spirit. Uh, I think
4: I think Lion has the most tragic backstory here, definitely,
3: because he's um, it's like what, his he friend
4: betrays him around.
0: with magic, and yeah, he gets betrayed, and then he gives he, the reason he has the demon claw is because that's the toll the magic took on his body.
4: Yeah.
1: Oh wow, I didn't know mm-hmm. that's where like Finger of Death comes from. Wow.
4: That is quite yeah. tragic. Uh, and I cannot tell you the backstory. of any of those other. So yeah, yeah,
3: okay. Just So yeah. Lion is, is, is sad, the most yeah. tragic. <laughs> uh, yeah, One so, more. Okay, uh, here's Huggable. huggable. Oh, yeah. Which of these is most huggable? So we've got uh, Sky Wrath Mage, uh-huh. Blick. Lich. <laughs> Lich. <laughs> <Blick>. I don't. <laughs> Beastmaster, Phantom Lancer, and Visage. Well, Phantom, Phantom Lancer's a cat. I think so.
4: he's, he's. No, no I know. he think he's he's literally unhuggable because he splits into like. The whole point of he his hero is that he juxtaposes, and you can never tell which one is the real cat. But so he's, he's the, the most huggable. No, I think he's the least huggable. For really? That reason. Yeah. Oh,
0: because of uh, doppel. Yeah, so he, I think like, it's like if you, you try want, to it's hug you like you always end up lives.
4: hugging the cat shadow. Like, I
1: mean, that's pretty much trying to hug a cat. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Visage is all like spiny and hides in the ground, so none I think you would huggable. be the next the next least. <laughs> <laughs> I think Skywrath is
4: decently huggable. Skywrath,
0: really? and then Beastmaster. Oh, Beastmaster is Beastmaster's like, pet. Good hug.
4: Well, but Beastmaster could give you like a big bear hug. Like, yeah. yeah. So Let's yeah. do Beastmaster, then
0: Skywrath, then Lich, and Neutral on, then Visage, and then finally Phantom <laughs> Lance. would I mean, none of
1: these are like Contra Master.
0: Yeah, he's huggable. definitely huggable. That's or maybe Ursa. The, yeah, Ursa, yeah, Ursa would murder I you. I think Brewmaster <laughs> is
1: probably the most huggable.
0: It, it strikes me that this type of genre of game design that relies on like a deep knowledge is also like the same that lines up and corresponds with the types of trivia games that happen in bars during like sports
3: things. Right, they're just drinking games, yeah. and I'm drawing from the same um, design. Yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. uh, and it's very funny to me as designing these kind of games, but not knowing how they're going to work until I show an audience. Um, because yeah, mostly yeah, yeah. when I design even folk games, I can imagine the kind of uh, mechanics or dynamics that would occur, and then design out of my imagination. Here, I have no conception of how they're going to work.
1: And speaking of drinking games,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, you had some Red Bull. Oh, because because
1: <laughs>
0: Peter, Felania, Shunglin and I didn't get enough. And at, like, midnight, we were like, let's go to the night cafe. And felania typed in night cafe and was like, oh, there's one 90 meters away from our apartment. 99
6: Just- meters. I'm
0: going to say it looks more like 50 meters. Yeah. <laughs> walk, like, I could dive out the window and end up
6: And <laughs> I don't know cafe. why we never Just, like, noticed kind of
0: it. But when you walk down our street, you can turn left into our apartment building. Or you can look right. And there's, like, a glowing blue neon skull in, like, a mirrored room with lots of gold... Like art, and yeah, it's a giant cafe full of big armchairs. Yeah. And we brought all our passports, <laughs> and we bought a bunch of Red Bull, which Shunglin had never tasted before. Yeah, I mean Original this, Red Bull.
5: This is a big pod moment, like um, Shang Lun first time having having a Red Bull. Never yeah. had an energy drink in my life. Just like, get lit and like, <laughs> learn some Dota.
3: <laughs> I had coffee for the first time in my life this year as well, mm. which is absurd because I'm Milburnian. And I thought it didn't affect me. So I thought Red Bull would not affect me. You were and, so confident and about that. What were the results rather than the hypothesis? <laughs> 24 hours of being wired. you yeah. I mean, anyone I just,
8: seen Malcolm in the Middle? He, you're like Dewey, the little kid when he eats candy. He just goes nuts, like he's yeah. actually like an addiction for him, he has to yeah. stop himself from eating candy because he has this like compulsion. Yeah, Tweaking
3: out for like the next 24 hours. It was a full 24 hours yeah. I reckon because uh, you know at the cafe obviously I was there I was like really concentrating super hard on last hitting. Which yeah. is, I didn't realize that Dota is a rhythm game, Yes, yeah. And Patrick was being an incredible teacher. If
0: you think you're too early for a last hit, you can press S and he'll stop swinging. Yeah. And then you can right-click the enemy again to start up the move again. So kind of like you were stutter stepping, you can like stutter attack. So try like stutter attacking a little bit. Yep. So try that a little bit more rapidly, like... Me. Yeah. Yeah. You got this, you got this weighted out. So it's a little early, a little early. Okay, You got this. Yeah, yeah, yes! So that's huge amounts of money. I could suddenly feel the sense of pride for making him happy and proud of, you know. Shunlin got like 28 last hits with the Juggernaut in 10 minutes, but before we were even able to last hit, we like sunk in, had our Red Bull, and we're like, let's, let's do it. And immediately the computers were like, no. <laughs> like, so what was it exactly? What do they need to, to get us online?
6: Um, well, firstly, you will need a Chinese phone that receives text, because right now, the, the way that they're doing this is after they have in your your ID and, in your case, passport, they will need to set, and they're, they're register in the system and then the system automatically send this text message to your phone that Um, interestingly, they didn't ask me for the phone number. So attachable to your ID Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and apparently you don't have that. So they ended So, the,
3: we told.
6: so after negotiation, uh-huh. instead of sending four texts to my to my phone, which is not acceptable in that case because it's yeah. linked to a system, they just hand write on this tiny piece of paper. Yeah, um, I still think
0: I have my scrap of paper, right. like two numbers, and just hand <laughs> us these like scrap of papers in our passports. Yeah, I have it. Look,
3: this is like how I get into the. Cafe,
1: <laughs>
3: wow. and it's time locked wow. as well because if it, uh, I didn't log in, I was fiddling with my phone, uh, and then the computer just shut off. Right. Yeah. Oh, and I had totally. to call the people again, and they were like, "What did you do? <laughs> Nothing, literally." <laughs> so you all sat down, like Peter and
0: Felonia and Alex, also back at home, all played your first Dota like in the software. So, like, what was that like? Did, is it helpful? Did you learn anything? Was it fun?
6: Um. Well, definitely in my case, I had some pre-knowledge um, of being an LLL player, mm-hmm. and and so I know a little bit of Dota, but but not much. But um, it was totally different when you observe the game, um, and and when you like really being in the game as a player like I noticed how how the certain change of landscape and how that would interact with your playing experience it was a lot a lot richer than than Mm. LOL I'm, I'm I'm horrible at LOL I'm not a very skillful player I'm mm-hmm. bad at killing people <laughs> but I like to interact with towers yes. and trees so which um which apparently there are more trees to interact with in Dota and it, it is also sort of striking to me as odd is that you you can actually recover health by just cutting down trees yeah they <laughs> you yeah.
0: eat the tree with a tango right so you were playing Lena, Lena. Uh, what does Lena do it, <laughs>
6: In my understanding, she's this fire wizard Let's who, heat who keeps things up. keeps um shooting fire at anything that that annoys her, and and I really like her Q skill where where she would send this dragon of fire mm-hmm. straight ahead and and like burning away any anything that's in front of her, mm-hmm. which looks really good. Let's <laughs> I, I sort of up. Of really enjoyed um, playing as her because I, I was playing with Peter as a team and we were we were both new to the to the, to this game, and, which means we, we were both constantly dying. <laughs> <And> so,
3: <laughs> against the easy box.
6: <laughs> right, against the easy box. And so every time when, when, when I'm dead and then Peter w- was caught in this sort of... Um, really fearsome battle, I would be on my way and then when I kill my dragon would reach him before I did Mm -hmm. Which feels like really good. It -hmm. it is one of those moments where you feel that you are actually helping your friend
0: I want to see one good combo though where like Tidehunter ravages and Lina gets to use W and then R Only when there's more than one enemy though. Don't do it on just one person and, and Peter, don't delay on it. Just do it as soon as you know you can catch two enemies, and you'll get many kills. So, yeah,
5: walk up there. Okay, I'm ravaging now. Yeah.
6: Yes.
5: yes!
1: Yes! That's it! That's what you want to do!
5: That was so good! Yeah, it was really nice. Like, I think after we finished playing, we both had this, like, was really nice like helping you out and All right. um and i was thinking if we were on different teams we we could have walked out of that room feeling very different right. yeah. um but yeah we spent the whole time trying to work out like i'd be like oh melania i'm coming i'm coming <laughs> I, i'm so sorry I, I should have been there
0: like, wait it? and so who are you
5: playing <laughs> i was mainly tide hunter i and then i was the the guy with no face with the mouth oh yeah <laughs> voice. He's head face, um, <laughs> head. so I would typically do the like okay I'll go at the front and you know do the hitting all the creeps and then Flani would come in with these big attacks mm-hmm. um, and yeah I felt really guilty if like if if I couldn't put my character in between mm-hmm. the the creeps and Felani's character because Flani's character I think couldn't take as many right, as many You're super nice trying to get that working in sync.
1: Guilt and anxiety are 90% of my feelings playing this game.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You were telling me that when you first started looking at it, it like reminded you of Maya or like 3D modeling software in terms of like learning how the interface works when we were kind of first like learning how to play Tidehunter.
5: Yeah, that's right. It's um, I think in particular it's the shop You know, it's just opening something up that has so many icons that, Mm. you know, when you when you're confident in a piece of software, you're not really reading the menus anymore or looking at what the icons are. You just kind of have a f- familiarity with it. Yeah. Like when you, you know, when you learn to drive stick, you're not thinking about where the gear stick is and right. you know where each gear is. You're thinking about what you're driving. And I felt this was very much the same. I'm like, "Oh, I remember this feeling, like just looking through menus for the one function that I want." Yeah, but I then of course this is happening in real time in a game and the the management side of it and the opacity of trying to understand what I should be buying and all that kind of stuff, um, that was the learning curve that was um, the most difficult, but the most familiar from any other piece of software.
4: I think this echo is something that Patrick and I found when we were... Sorry to cut back to the stadium. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Something we found while we were commentating, which is, you know, this is a game I've played an extraordinary amount of. My relationship to the items are like totally automatic. I think of them like, this is what this item does, not what this item is named. And when you're actually playing, you're, you know, what you're actually engaging with is the actual mechanical things. And so, uh, and it's a very kind of embodied and almost muscle memory automatic process of what I should buy. and. That made commentating incredibly difficult because yeah. it, the actual relationship of how you describe and react to things happening on screen, when you're reverting them into actual like language and, and <laughs> saying things, <laughs> is totally different than yeah. oh yeah, I need to like move my screen this way, change my build like this. Um, that happen on a level that's obviously cognitive, but not sort of like linguistic. Yeah, Will Will and I sat down and commutated a match and tried
0: to kind of cosplay as analyst and color commentator. And the analysis was fine. Like we we had a lot to talk about. But then when it came to the color, we would be like,
4: oh, and now they're coming down the river, they're going to do that, wait, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you don't ever say the reference. (laughs) They're
8: going to do that thing that they do. Do the thing. (laughs) Explosions, (laughs) spectacle. Um I actually had this moment when I was playing and I was it was in the tutorial I think mm-hmm. and I was just reading all of the things the the items in the shop and trying to read the description and figure out what it actually means and then you came up and just like pressed all of these random things and I was like what What are you doing like what is this wait let me read it and like while I was reading I got killed by the lane. <laughs> 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 and this happened about like five times and I was just like oh come on like and just let me read for a second it's
6: like trying to read Moby Dick or something <laughs> you're, like, just you're constantly being like
4: peppered with flies constantly running from the whale <laughs> okay. I, oh, my I last happens.
6: thing like when, when I brought you- into the internet cafes, it was quite an odd experience because mm-hmm. it's a very Chinese experience of bringing your friends to play at midnight um, on internet games. We used to do that um, when we were undergrads uh, and the game that we were playing was World of Craft. World of Warcraft. So it was such a crucial part of every Chinese gamer yeah. that that was born in the eighties and nineties to finally be able to move. Um, not 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 to, not to live in the dorm, not to live at home, but live at a third place where, where you were sort of really hanging out with your friends making some great adventures so it, it was one of those really unique moments you feel like um there was a certain wall that, that, that was broken mm-hmm. um, by by just inviting people that, that's normally not part of that heritage to go to internet bars at midnight mm-hmm. but I had to say that eventually that experience was a lot more nicer um, to me than playing with my Chinese friends because my <laughs> skill was relatively low compared <laughs>
5: To them. Well, I finally find my my comfort. I was having a lot of fun. As Drew says, welcome to Dota. You suck. (laughs) suck. Welcome to Dota. We suck. (laughs) suck. On that note, see you
1: next
5: time. Bye. bye. Bye.
2: (laughs) Next up, we'll interview Muriel Kips Huisman an analyst and coach who plays Dota 2 professionally.
4: This is Will, and we have another really special guest uh, for this episode of Every Game in This City. It is uh, my friend Muriel Huesman, a.k.a. Kipspool, a.k.a. Kips, uh, one of the professional Dota coaches uh, who has worked with... Uh, Team Fnatic, uh, with Vega Squadron, and most recently with Complexity Gaming, and is certainly kind of a, a, a force in the space. So welcome, Kips. Yay. Hello!
1: Yeah. 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 I have so many questions.
9: Thank
4: you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah. So um, part of why we wanted to have Kips on is someone who is really like a, a true a Dota insider, someone who is also very familiar with the actual the act of competitive play. Um, So Kips, would you want to just like start off, say like, you know, what do you do? Uh, And how does one sort of become a Dota coach, which is not exactly something you can, you know, go to school for. (laughs) Yet. Yet. (laughs) Yeah,
9: yet. I mean, I have actually helped uh, develop a syllabus for a place that did, uh, well, Dota courses. So, you know, maybe it's it's coming. What? Oh, wow.
0: Is that linked? This was
9: with uh, with Skoga in Singapore. You could take Dota courses there, and I'm uh, I'm sort of a head designer of their of their Dota uh, track.
4: That is wild. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Um,
9: there was something I did in between, but yeah, in in general, that is also how I got to this point in my career. Is that I just I did a lot in the Dota space, and. I was at the right place at the right time to become analyst or fanatic, and I worked my way up from there. Mm-hmm.
4: And so what does is, what is working your way up sort of mean in this context?
9: What does it mean to be mm-hmm. an analyst? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like you can see an analyst as a, a scout in traditional sports. Uh-huh. So you go and watch games of uh, your enemies. You uh, analyze those, and you say, "All right, if we want to beat them, we should do this and this, and we should look out for uh, X and Y." Mm-hmm.
4: And so then, what um what's the big distinction then between analyst and coach, which is sort of what you're doing now?
9: Yeah, what I'm doing now is more about throughout the entire season. I try to make sure that we have a coherent direction. I individually uh, help all of my players out on, well, my specialty is macro play, so the how do they play on the map and on a mental level. And in general, I also actually get to say, like, uh, this is what we're going to do. Whereas as an analyst, I was very much um, an assistant to the captain and the coach in deciding what the right way was. I was more of an advisor than anything. And I have, uh, I have a real power over the direction that my team takes now, which is quite different.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, Kipps, this is a, a very outsider's question for an insider. Does it? Does your coaching get down to the level of, like, say, like a football coach, where you'd run drills? Like, will players be repeating certain moves over and over again outside the context of a game, or, you know, in a session, do you play? games through to completion every time? Like what what does training look like on a nuts and bolts level?
9: So I think this is an extremely interesting question because one of the problems that I have with how Dota is trained currently is that we can't really do things like uh, dry runs, for example, or drills, as you said. Most Dota training right now consists just of playing complete matches against other um, competitive teams. So you play those in private, you run through two maps, you evaluate uh, the entire game. And I think kind on a level of up where you're supposed to, you know, learn things down to the details, it's always best if you can stop the action, repeat what you just did, do it correctly this time, that sort of thing. And you don't really get to do that in Dota right now. So...
0: So you're saying you don't get to do drills. It's not because there's not, like, the right tools to kind of like rewind a game state
9: yeah basically Mm -hmm.
0: so if dota had a way to just like not just pause the game but like roll back 30 seconds that would change everything about the way you would train in it do you think or
9: oh yeah everything Hmm.
0: because i feel like other am i wrong that like starcraft had a way to like Press go and retake control of a certain moment in a replay, and you could kind of like fantasy your way out of a certain pros moment in those games.
4: Yeah, this was added in um, less originally for like fans getting to like try out, you know, what would I do in this circumstance? Mm. But um, in the early days of BattleNet 2.0, when the servers were maybe not as good as they could have been, um, a lot of professional games sort of just had to be totally replayed from the beginning because someone would drop. And so the the thought was, well, we really need to have a tool that lets us basically pick up a game state from like fifteen seconds before it dropped. And so, but yeah, DOTA doesn't have that.
5: I'm um, pardon my ignorance. In the is there like an SDK for Source Two where you can make a training simulation, or is that not really a thing that teams have access to?
9: It definitely is. Actually, there um, DOTA has a pretty well. An, an interesting, I should say, custom game community because the tools to make custom games are there and in fact the Source 1 client of that used to have a Replay Takeover as well, mm. to be able to you know, go into a pros, pro game at a certain point and go back in there but yeah, that has never actually been made available for Source 2, which is what we've been on for the past five years I think now
1: so if you can't do things like drills, you mentioned earlier that, um, like high level pro teams have to basically, um, practice against one another. So how do you actually go mm-hmm. about doing that? Like how, how does, how do practices get set up? Are you playing literally against other pro teams or are there people that you scrim against? How does that, how exactly does that work?
9: Yeah, basically, the managers have an entire network. There's usually uh, some Discord groups involved here as well. And you set up a schedule with the managers of the other teams. You usually talk about how many maps, at which time, which time zone, as well as which server you're going to play on. And once that's all written down, you, yeah, one of the two parties set, sets up a custom game, or a custom lobby, I should say, and you all turn up and you play.
0: Is there ever a time when you're like, oh, we need to practice timing on a specific combo? So you like boot up a bot match? Or like, is there a way to like roll just like one move over and over again at all, given that you don't have tools to like do the kind of fancy rewind stuff?
9: Yeah, you can do that in, for example, if you set up a custom lobby, you can do that just for yourself or just with the two of you. Mm. It's definitely possible to let's say dry run purely mechanical things like spell combos Right. but it's not like usually you want to practice game situations like what I would love to have for example is a custom game where you could practice Roshan fights or uh, taking a high ground because those right. are moments that if you play a full match you only get like between 3 to 5 of those like, in total and that's a lot of there's a lot of padding around that. Let's put it that way.
4: Right. And those are like an hour in a
9: training match and get five of those points out of it.
4: Hmm. So Kips, one of the things you mentioned is that your sort of specialty is balancing um, sort of like macro play. And also you said like sort of mental stuff. Um, so, mm-hmm. what kind of balance do you when you say your last team complexity? How much time was spent really sort of working these in-game macro issues, and how much time was spent actually um, working on the mental stuff? And maybe the uh, the kind of question inside the question is, what do you mean by the mental stuff?
9: So, I think for complexity, it was actually probably eighty uh, percent mentality work, because and i Yeah, I'm not afraid to say that, I guess, is that that team really lacked leadership and we had five very nice guys all around who were just, you know, they, once you're in a team like that, you get sort of the situation where everyone thinks that I'm creating the space for someone to, you know, pick it up right now and to, to dunk that ball, slam it home but nobody really does that because they're all busy accommodating each other. And I had to do a lot of... Well, I worked a lot on our carry player, so, you know, if you play 4 plus 1, he would be the the plus one that would have to take an earn-to-win condition. Um, I talked with our captain a lot about the way that he could direct people to do more. I tried to get the other players to show initiative on some things more that I thought were their specialties. Um, but all in all, it was a, a very complicated situation because there was just not someone on that team who naturally wanted to use the combined resources of the others to make the winning or sometimes you know the losing call in the end, but at least to take that responsibility. So that was what I spent most of my time on.
4: Interesting. And how would you describe the relationship of like players to Dota? Like, is it... Is it obsessive? Um, what what actually drives someone to spend you know eight hours a day, six days a week, training in this game? And how does that change one's relationship to this you know incredibly complex designed object?
9: Yeah, it's it's definitely obsessive, I'd say. If they lose, they just start playing pub games immediately again after, and that's that's kind of crazy to me because I really love the game, but after we lose a match I'm usually I, I don't want to talk to the game for a couple of days you know <laughs> mm. yeah I think one of the the interesting things about these pro players is that the road to becoming a pro player is through solo playing games right so the people that get good the fastest are the people that can just play 12 games a day weeks after weeks after months after well years mm. and One of the problems that this creates is that these people are mostly used to grinding and they're mostly used to teaching themselves and fixing stuff on their own. And that's why I try to focus so much on the team play aspect as well, because that's the stuff that they haven't practiced for that much time. But yeah, they have also been selected by this system to be very good at doing things on their own. So when teams
1: are being formed and players are being selected to, to join a team, um are folks thinking about like, well they're really good at doing at playing uh these particular positions or really good for this particular meta, but is there also like that sort of thought in the back of your head that these people will get along well together or like there's the the, the sort of social dynamic that's at play at the same time? Like how much does that actually factor in when decisions are being made?
9: Mm, this is a bit of a hard one for me to answer because teams in Dota are usually formed by the players themselves, mm. and especially it's mostly captains selecting who they want to work with, or sometimes a really uh, like a really skilled uh, mid player for example, so he has a lot of draw, he can select people who he wants to work with. So really it all depends on the vision of who is gathering the team right now, and a lot of teams or stacks are still being formed by, all right, I like this player, I don't like this player, uh, this player and this player don't like each other, so we can take only one of those, you know, which is kind of haphazard. I know that a lot of the top captains put a lot of consideration into who they want to get and the dynamics of the team that they're going to form, but I think that would only really be the case in like the the top three teams of every region. And even, I'm saying every region, the top three teams of CIS, China, and uh,
7: Europe. Uh-huh. Hi, Gibbs. I have a question about the players, too. And maybe mm-hmm. you already answered a bit for me. So it's more like another a top-down, like scouting the talents. More like talents find the other talents and organize themselves together as a team. But I'm curious. like Some teams are very international, and they would find players from other cultures speaking other languages is that common, and how do they work around that problem?
9: It's it's pretty common. I think um, the most closed off communities are in uh, China and in Russia, just because they don't speak English very fluently usually. Mm-hmm. So there are sometimes, for example, uh, Chinese players go to Southeast Asia to Chinese speaking teams there. Or uh, for example, Malaysian Chinese uh, players go to China. There's a couple of those on the big China teams right now. Um, But yeah, in the English-speaking world, where everyone has English as a second language, pretty much everyone can go everywhere as long as they properly commit to living in that region. So Team Liquid, for example, right now has a lot of people from the Middle East and then some Europeans. And my team had two SEA players, a North American, a South American, and uh, one European. <laughs> so as long as they live and train in the same region, Valve is totally fine with them working together. And yeah, you see it happen quite a lot.
4: So Kipps, I wanted to um, also build on that question by talking about some of the cultural differences that emerge between players. And I was hoping you could, if you're willing, um, talk about managing some of that when you're working with Vega Squadron. <laughs>
9: um. Oh, dear to Russians. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, what to say? Um,
4: you also don't have to answer. <laughs> don't feel obligated.
9: No, no. I, I, I think it's very interesting because th- actually I think in Vega it was, I can't say easier, but you know, the fact that I'm a woman has more impact in other cultures than here in the West. Although I got to say, this is something interesting, both in the Philippines and in Russia, people sometimes said some pretty sexist stuff and then they'd catch themselves and be like, oh, that was pretty sexist of me, wasn't it? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, it kind of was. But that's cool, <laughs> you realize. And in the West, if people do that, and you, you look at them weirdly, they're like, what? Because <laughs> they, they think they're beyond that, so to them it's just, you know, justified in whatever way they, they think it is. So that was actually one of the things that pleasantly surprised me about working in the Philippines and in Russia, mm-hmm. and then another thing as well is that, especially in the Philippines, as long as I put more emphasis on the fact that I was, and this, yeah, I'm just going to say it. As long as I put more emphasis on the fact that I was white, that I was a Westerner, and sort of put that so much in the foreground that they kind of forgot about the woman thing, that helped a lot just because Westerners are traditionally, well, sort of looked up towards there, right? So that did make it somewhat easier for me to maneuver around the whole fact that women are not supposed to be in charge, because <laughs> yes. white people are supposed to be in charge, if you know what I mean. It's, yes. it's a weird dynamic, and I didn't feel comfortable with it, but at the same time, it was very useful for me to leverage that, because otherwise I would have had to deal with a lot more, well, rebelling against any kind of authority that I was trying to get.
7: So, so along your road, do you see women from other parts of the world taking up same position <laughs>
9: as you do in this business? Uh, I hope so. I get a lot of messages from people who feel very encouraged by my success and my just being here still after a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm hoping just like with the fact that there were very few female managers in the teams before and now it's 50-50, I'm hoping that we can get more female players as well as coaches. But in terms of the coaching it's harder because a lot of coaches are ex-pro players. And I am pretty special in that regard as well, because I'm one of the very few coaches who's not an ex-pro. And since there's no female pros, there's also mm-hmm. no way to be an ex-pro as a woman, right?
8: Yeah, so I was actually about to ask about that. Um, so you're not an ex-pro player, and I was, I guess, not surprised, but kind of disappointed to see that there were zero female players during this entire mm-hmm. um, the yeah. international. Mm-hmm. Um So it's quite interesting. Um, How do you end up getting into coaching if you're not ever a pro player?
9: Yeah, for me, it was through the analysis thing. I'm very good with spreadsheets. I'm a good observer. I make very, like I'm good at decision-making in general, I think. And I basically, well, (laughs) blew their brains with my application because I sent in a 30-page PDF where everyone else had just sort of, Only chatted to them. Amazing. (laughs) That's so (laughs) cool. (laughs) So, yeah, I I really overdid it on that part, and that (laughs) kind of immediately landed me the job. And from that point onward, it's all about like proving yourself to the players in person. And it gets tiring sometimes having to prove, prove, prove again and again. But at the same time, I do really love this job. And you know, it usually takes about a month, two months. And then they're all good. And then I can start doing the real work.
6: Right, right. Um, There are actually uh, some Chinese team, um, e-sport team that that is um, like constructed with female players and, and one of them, the leader recently accepted this interview and was saying that the stereotype of female not being able to play esports well enough is really hurting their reputation. And um, so I wonder what's your opinion on, on this aspect?
9: Well, one of the things is that it's, it's pretty simple. Even if women are somehow worse at competitive gaming than men we wouldn't know it right now because the female player pools are so much smaller than the male ones like in Mm -hmm. dota it's between three and five percent so if you look at how narrow the top of the dota player base is, like these 100 players in our t.i. right now something like that there would be three of them would be women maybe five (laughs) Mm -hmm. instead of 50 50 and that's crazy so how, how could you ever say that the women are worse than the men if the women are not even represented equally? Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that if they were represented equally, we would very soon see that there is a, no such thing as a gender gap there.
5: Mm. Um, you mentioned um, a few minutes ago uh, this you know, struggle to uh, find perhaps authority sometimes when it's required. I was wondering, um, on the flip side of that, how do you approach um the issue of care for the players when I imagine a lot of the players you would work with would be quite young and and at a point in their mm-hmm. lives when this will be a real kind of formative experience in their lives has that has that emerged as a challenging aspect of your job?
9: I think that that's maybe one of the aspects that I naturally lean into the best. I guess we can talk a bit more about the cultural differences here. One of the the benefits that I found in Russia was that men don't talk about their feelings with other men. But if you're competitive in sports, you have to talk about how you feel. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, you can talk about how you feel with a woman. (laughs) So that that was definitely a benefit in that regard. and That's
0: wild. Yeah. That's really wild. Yeah.
9: I know, right? I never expected that to emerge as a, a benefit, but I, I kept that team basically afloat by just doing emotional labor. Like, teams,
1: yeah, exactly.
5: emotional yeah. yeah.
0: So s- speaking of emotional labor and kind of the sociality of Dota, I noticed that our conversation, like it is not at all about, like, pushing buttons. It's, like, not about mechanics. It's not about, like, learning a bunch Mm -hmm. of spells. It's not about, like, memorizing, uh, you know, turn radiuses. Or, like, it's not about the (laughs) mechanical aspects of the game. Like, everything you're talking about is about a kind of connection or a kind of sociality between a team. And I I recognize that this is part of uh, your style of coaching. But could you talk a little bit about, like... Is this true for all esports or is Dota and, and games like it, are they particularly um, kind of social in this way? Or do they particularly lean on the relationship between the people on the team?
9: Mm, I think that in this way, Dota is like basically every other traditional sport as well, and that if it's team-based, then it's all about how you play together and not necessarily individually. And I think maybe in Dota it's a little bit more separated almost, those two skill trees, just because you usually practice on your own in the solo games and then also practice with the team in the scrims. Mm -hmm. Mm. And I mean, I I could talk a bunch about the the mechanical aspects and demands of the game, of course. Like if, If you have questions about that, I could, but it's... Yeah, the the part that fascinates me is if you can teach these people to not just become better players, but also better people. Because (laughs) you're talking about a formative experience, right? These guys are in, they're between 17 and 23. I had one player on my previous team who was just getting doubts because he didn't know where he was going to go after Dota. He'd never looked for what to do before and he was like 24 now. And the rest of us have a lot of that crisis when we're 18. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he'd sort of skipped that phase because he'd always had Dota.
1: So when, when these players are, are training on teams, how much do you have to think about in terms of, like, are they exercising? Are they sleeping? Are they eating? Like, is that something that, um, that the members of the team have to, like, consciously think about?
9: Yeah, it really depends on how much responsibility they're willing to give to their staff. I've always pushed to put especially those kinds of uh, very basic things like the sleep and the food, etc., to put that on the manager mm-hmm. so that he can make sure, you know, if this guy really can't sleep with roommates, we're going to find another accommodation for him. If this guy has allergies. Uh, we tell that to the cook and we make sure that there is separate food or that we change our dishes around. But... Yeah, for some of them, I do really have to remind them that I need them to have a solid sleeping schedule because they got to be up in time for matches and that sort of thing. It's not always natural.
4: Mm -hmm. So Kifs, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and um, ask a, a somewhat blunt question about compensation. Um, which mm-hmm. is how do how do manage or how do coaches get paid in this system? Is this a, a salaried system? Is this mm-hmm. do, are you invoicing hourly? Is it a percentage of winnings? Some combination thereof? Mm-hmm. And is that standard across Dota? Um, is sort of part two? And is it standard across esports as a whole?
9: Dota is different than all other esports because of the fact that the prize money is so gigantically imbalanced um, so yeah I get a salary and a percentage of prize winnings not too much, it's for coaching it's about, depending on your impact it's about between 5 and 10% is acceptable I'm not afraid to say that I got uh, 7.5% at complexity just now Mm. used to get higher at uh, Vega, lower at TNC. It really depends on how much you know your impact is on the team. Because let's face it, the players are the ones winning the money, they're the ones that share it. And this also means that as long as the team is not signed, usually the coach works for only a percentage of prize winnings and then gets signed along with that stack, for example. And yeah, in general, salaries in Dota are much lower than salaries in other esports. Uh, player contracts are shorter in general. Buyouts can be ridiculously high still. Um, but that's also because you want to be, well, players can possibly buy themselves out, and they're the ones with, if they win a big tournament, they could just, you know, decide to leave. So mm-hmm. there's at least a really weird ecosystem where sometimes these buyouts and things are not even enforced just because you can't make a Dota player move if he doesn't want to. <laughs> and they're they're very powerful in that sense. And then the other way around, basically everyone if they reach like top hundred in the in the rankings, everyone is basically already contracted with someone somewhere and it gets very hard to move them around if you don't have any funds. Because the buyouts are really high. But a lot of smaller teams don't have that budget. So it's, it's weird. I know a couple of CIS players who are going to have trouble finding a proper team because their bias are really high, but their teams also don't want to play with them next season.
4: Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So I know you know that this is a leading question, um, but why are salaries low in Dota? <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Oh,
9: I've, uh, I have contributed on an article with uh, <laughs> this premise in mind about half a year ago. But it has to do with the imbalance of the the prize pools. And basically when there is 30 million on the line this summer, right, you can win a couple of games and make more money than you made in the entire year before, then it doesn't make much sense to have loyalty to any squad that can't guarantee you that you're going to this huge tournament. So yeah, players switch teams a lot, players kick each other a lot, they will do basically anything in order to get to this giant uh, show every summer. And in turn, that means for the teams that since there's no roster stability, it's very hard for a team to get a proper stale result, to get fans to be emotionally attached to either their brand or their players. And in turn, that makes it hard again for sponsors to get the amount of eyeballs that they want. So... Organizations don't have a lot of stable income, and in fact, in Dota organizations often take a percentage of the prize pool to recoup their losses that way as well. It's uh, it's very top-heavy, it's kind of imbalanced. Tier 2 players, Tier 3 players in Dota get paid basically nothing, because there is no prize money for the lower teams. Nobody cares if there's no millions on the line, because there are millions on the line every summer.
1: I have an unrelated question to -hmm. this that actually goes back to some of the things you were talking about earlier with the um, kind of changing meta of the game um, uh, through like Mm -hmm. the series of patch updates or like each uh, what happens with with each international. And I was just I'm really curious to if you could walk us through what happens um, on a professional team after each patch update comes out.
9: Yeah, uh, I think this process differs a little bit per team, but I think at first everyone is just, you all read the patch notes basically the moment it comes out. And you might not even be in the same country, the same time zone, doesn't matter. Everyone knows. You all get on your Discord group or whatever and you start, all right, this hero's dead. This hero looks good. We need to try uh, X or Y ability out before we can actually see if it's good. and, and the second step is that people will start playing it in their public games. So they'll try it out solo. And if they think it's good enough, then when we start properly scrimming it, then, you know, we're going to ask, all right, do we need to try X or Y? Uh, is, is hero Z good enough to just pick straight up? What combinations, etc. That is sort of the cycle. And at first, it's really only about are individual heroes stronger or weaker now? And then as it becomes clear that some of them are stronger, then of course the counters to those heroes gain relevance as well. And that's where the proper meta development has finally started.
0: What? So you mentioned that um, there's this kind of individual aspects to the game where players will uh, play public games and kind of work things out. What does like a, a regiment look like um, in your experience? Is it like you wake up at 9am and play five public games and then the team kind of all logs on together like what how does it actually like work um is it that the public games are done on your own time outside of practice and it just strikes me as like interesting because you don't often see in other sports um maybe i'm wrong but uh like athletes go to like a public Place and play with uh, folks who are not part of the league, right? Like, like basketball players don't go to the local court, or tennis players don't show up at the YMCA. So, so like, how does that like fit into like a daily training schedule?
9: Uh huh. Yeah. at least you know, there's a matchmaking system, so your local court will always contain the best local players at that time, at the very least. If right. one of the best.
0: <laughs> so you show up um, to the local but, court and it's all NBA people. <laughs>
9: <laughs> yeah, yes. And some, you know, I don't know what the, the second league is, but, you know, some mm. of those, like a couple mm. of upstarts who have, you know, done really well in, on other courts recently, that sort of thing. Um, But I can tell you that pretty much nobody gets up at (laughs) 9. There is actually a pretty logical reason for the gamer schedule to be kind of lopsided that way. Because you're not just playing with other pros, but you're also playing with school kids and people with day jobs. And depending on their schedules, they're only going to be out at around, like, well, between 3 and then way late in the evening. So... Let's, let's take, I guess, the kind of schedule that I've been running, is usually two warm-up games before scrims. And scrims, depending on what kind of region you're trying to play against, for example, start between 12 and sometimes even like 5. And you play two best of two or three best of two on a day, so that is either a block of four hours or a block of six hours. Usually you try to split that up a bit to have time to discuss in between, to eat, drink something, walk around a bit. Um, I'd say that generally like a a team workday is about six hours. So you play some solo games before that, and then after that's where the real bulk of the solo playing starts, because you're done between, well, five and let's say ten at night. And then after that, people play at least four to six games more.
0: Yeah. So I was just going to kind of follow on that By asking um, How does the kind of like Internationalism of this eSport Affect that training schedule Are people thinking Oh I need to like stay up Till this time because the Chinese players Are awake then And on that note like Are the scrims uh, Done like locally on LAN Or is it all online
9: Scrims are all online Um, Uh And that means that Europe in general is the best region to be, just because you can scrim Russia as well as your own region,
6: uh-huh.
9: and so that doesn't really happen anywhere else. Because Southeast Asia can't actually scrim China because China's behind the Great Firewall, mm-hmm. um, and in North America and Texas, we used to wake up early and play around, you know, 12 or something, just to be able to play against European teams. And then of course, since they're from Europe, they get to demand that it's on Europe servers, they're doing us a, a favor. So we play with 130 ping, mm. but you know, that's that's something you get if you want to play someone else in either North or South America. Right.
7: This is probably silly, but why don't you just fly to somewhere
9: together and play it in the same time zone? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You can. And uh, a lot of teams bootcamp, especially before big tournaments, they bootcamp in the region where the tournament is going to take place. Mm -hmm. But since this esport has had trouble with people region hopping in order to get to easier places, Valve does demand that you spend the majority of your training year in a certain region, playing public games and scrims there in order to make sure that there's no, well, brain drain, for example, mm. or on the other hand, opportunists casually training in a hard region and then nipping over to an easier region in order to quickly score qualifications from there because both of those things have happened.
7: Wow.
1: Okay, I have, I have two questions. The first is that um, sometimes at the international in the booths, you see the, the team coaches holding papers and mm-hmm. what are on those papers? <laughs> I've
9: always wondered uh-huh. that. And then the second... I, t- I am an uh, expert on that. I make a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> tell, me, tell me about those papers. Do you want papers. me to answer that first, or should I listen to the second question first as well? Um,
1: yeah, I'll, I'll just say the second question, too. Is that, So, um, yeah, after the papers, then there's the commentators who uh, always sound really intelligent when they are analyzing all of the draft picks that the teams have made. And how much does that actually, and they'll, they'll, they'll sort of make these judgments and, and claims about like why certain characters or heroes are being picked. How much does it actually correlate to the motivations, uh, the actual motivations of the teams?
9: Mm. All right, so, so let's, let's start with the papers. Usually what's on there is the previous drafts of the enemy team so that the captain and the, the coach have a really good idea of what kind of heroes do they play. Then there might be reminders on there. If they take this, we take this. Uh, be careful for this pick, ban it out, or um, uh, make sure you insure yourself against that that sort of thing. And there's often also, for example, ward maps on there so that you can look at how did they game, play the game strategically. And I, as a coach, for example, would brief my support players on, hey, they're going to want to have vision here, so make sure you remove that or play around it, for example. Then for the second part, um, I think that in general the analysts are pretty good at looking on a hero-to-hero basis, why it got taken. But one of the things that I think they sort of lack on is, and this is going to be typical because this is my shake, right, but sort of the human element, the way that I personally draft is very much more on I draft for my players. I try to give the players that I've worked with that I I know how they want to play. I try to give them a draft that makes it easy for those specific guys to win. And if you look at it from a very objective kind of standpoint, like the win rates of certain heroes against each other or whatever, I'm sure there would be better picks, but that's not what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming to give specifically my guys the lineup that I think works the best for them right now. And I think that's part of the reason why the analysts are sometimes kind of confused. Why did Team X pick this? well it's because they one of their players said alright I feel really strongly about this hero right now I want to play it okay cool let's do it and mm. it doesn't have to be more than a feeling it really doesn't
4: <laughs> cool and I think I have a uh, one last question to kind of walk us out um, which is going to be a tough one <laughs> <laughs> so oh, um, give me <laughs> yeah, so this summer you were working with Complexity Gaming, a North American organization um, with this, like, relatively international uh, squad, and you guys did not mm-hmm. qualify for TI, um, unfortunately. Um, so yeah. can you tell us, like, what sort of that, that situation was like? Like, you, the team has worked really hard for a bunch of months and is going through this qualifier, and it just, like, it doesn't work out for the team. Um what kind of, you know, conversations happen after that? What kinds of negotiations? Um, does the team, like, do they not want to see each other, talk to each other? Um, do they look for you for comfort? Do they look to each other? Do they just, like, like run out to the nearest bar? Or, like, what's the, you know, you know what kind of goes down in a situation like this?
9: Yeah. Everyone mourns in their own way, really, because it, it, it does feel like somebody died, man. It really does feel like that. Mm. And... At least, like we talked a bunch with at least uh, four of them. Tavo was a little bit more isolated. He really wanted to talk to his South American friends more than anything, which I totally get. But we, yeah, we got together on the night of the loss. We drank a bunch at Zach's apartment, and we just sort of discussed the future and why why this happened. And then afterwards, well, normally you sort of fall into a hole. People just split up, you know that the squad is probably done unless you feel like really strongly about staying together, but in this case we didn't really. We could all see that this this direction, this leadership went missing. And that also means that we didn't really have anyone to keep us together. But we did have one reason to stick together for a little bit longer because we had to play the summit still first. Mm. And at least in that regard, I saw an opportunity there. I talked about myself drafting, but honestly, the only time that I have drafted for this team yet was at the summit, because mm. that was a window for me to say, all right, you guys don't really want anything anymore, but I've always wanted to draft at a tournament of this caliber and with a team of this caliber, because normally there's too much on the line to just give me that opportunity. But at least I could, yeah, have that, and I learned a lot from that. So. In, in that regard, for me, that was really a way to, uh, how do you say, to not be so heavily impacted by the loss because I still had goals to work towards. And for everyone else, yeah, a couple went on vacation, a couple went home, and I think we're all watching the international right now from our uh, respective homes. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it's done, literally the night that someone lives the ages the messages are going to start flying because everyone is going to be looking for a new team. Wow. Mm.
4: That is fantastic and also a perfect place to stop.
9: Thank you so much yeah, for coming on this show. Yeah. <laughs>
6: Thank
9: yeah. you.
1: Yeah.
6: yeah.
9: This yeah. Is
4: really good. It's yeah.
9: really, I, <laughs> I'm always so surprised when...
0: Oops. Oh. oh, you
4: cut out right when you were telling oh. us what you were surprised about.
9: Wait, VPN reconnected,
0: connection lost. Oh Re- fuck! Reconnecting. Oh, okay. Wait, is it, I think you're back. Is it back? Oh. Yeah,
4: you're okay. right. You were saying you cut out so exactly surprised. when it, I'm always so surprised that, and then you were <laughs> gone.
0: Perfect
9: I'm always so surprised that people really like my answers because I feel like I go off on my own tangents a lot, and that people may not okay. get the exact answers yeah. they were looking for. So I'm I'm glad that you guys think that it was this was useful and interesting. Very useful.
0: No, this was completely cogent um, and incredibly useful, especially considering that like. Some folks in this room are like sitting down to look at this game for the first time and it's really hard with it all the is noise. So hard. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> with, with all the noise, like there's so much kind of minutiae in, in the mechanics. It's like mm-hmm. really refreshing to hear about sense. what playing Dota is.
7: I was mm-hmm. really sleepy at the beginning of this podcast, but now I'm really, really hyped. I'm googling everything.
0: <laughs> Maybe oh, we should you. head to the night cafe right now to test our yeah. uh, newfound knowledge of, oh, of being sure. good people. Good, good people play good Dota.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I. I uh, yes.
4: Yeah. Kip's is going to build a team around me for Ti Ten. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm, I'm the captain now. <laughs> so
7: Russian mm-hmm. speak the language. <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> Awesome! All right, Kips, thanks uh, so much.
9: See about that. There's a lot of people in line. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Wow, that's exciting.
0: Well, good luck in the scramble coming up. And um, yeah, thanks so much for tuning in. We really wish that you were part of this uh, project for the rest of the week, but uh, happy that we could have this conversation for
9: this bit. Yeah, happy I could still uh, sort of take a peek into what you guys are Mm. uh, doing over there right now because I I was very, very interested as well. But Mm. sometimes, you know.
0: You gotta take care of yourself first. Yeah, Yeah, totally, and it's
4: been exhausting. Yeah, Yeah. this has been brutal, like, method-wise. Yeah,
9: Yeah. (laughs) so now you know.
4: (laughs) Now we know.
2: Every Game in this City is a podcast on the Idle Thumbs Network. We recorded season two in a hot living room in Huangpu during the summer of 2019. Our theme music is a cover of Dota by Bass Hunter, a Eurodance track he released in 2006 featuring samples from the original mod. You can find us on the web at every game in this dot city, as well as most social media networks and podcasting platforms. In two weeks, we'll try to put the art back into ARTS on day four of the International. First, Yang Jing will take us to Unart, a media art gallery that doubles as an esports venue. Then Peter will exhibit Autosave Redoubt, a counter-stripe map reconstructing the scene where the Japanese and the English first encountered one another in the Battle of Hong Kong during World War II. Is DOTA also a platform for art?